0: Chapter 10, verses 34 to 48 will be our text this morning. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ he is lord of all you yourselves know what happened throughout all judea beginning from galilee after the baptism of john i'm sorry the baptism that john proclaimed how god anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy spirit and with power he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for god was with him And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets be a witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers. Of Jesus Christ. First point I want to make this morning is that God shows no partiality to any nation or people. And so, standing in the living room of Cornelius, a Gentile, Peter, I'm sorry, a Gentile, Cornelius was a Gentile, and Peter, a Jew, begins his message to Cornelius and his room full of Gentiles with the word, truly. The most translations render this word truly as of a truth. Some render it truly or truthfully or in truth or most certainly. Why such a word from Peter? The reason is that he has had a vision to prove what he has experienced, which is why he can now say, Truly, I understand. Now, what does he now understand? He now understands that God shows no partiality or favoritism. Now, literally, I'm told, in the ancient Near East, the concept meant to receive the face, literally, to receive the face. So whenever you were greeting somebody who was considered to be socially elite or superior, you had to lower your face. And if they raised your face, that was a sign that you were recognized and that you were, in fact, favored. However, I'm told that such favoritism, and as I'm sure you know, could not be shown by a judge who was considered to be impartial. Now, this is not the first place in Scripture that speaks to God's impartiality. Speaking of how God gives equal treatment to both king and commoner, to rich and poor, Job himself says this in chapter 34 and verse 19, that God shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. And then the Apostle James in chapter 2 cautions us that practicing partiality in church means that we set ourselves up as judges of people, distinguishing between who is acceptable and who is not. And James mentions that that is a place that is only reserved for God himself. And so in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says, he writes this, my brothers, so he's writing to Christian brothers, believers, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So partiality is not something that God commends in scripture. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a great equalizer. I believe that's what Peter now understands. He understands that this gospel is about the heart of God for all people and the character of God for all people. He understands that God is love and that God loves people, all people, and he loves them equally. Peter understands that God, in fact, had chosen the Jewish nation to be his own people. He chose them from among all the other nations of the world. But the reason he had chosen them was so that they might be a blessing to all of the other nations of the world. Peter understands that. God's love for all people is why nor why God had nor preached for a hundred and twenty years compelling people to come into the ark of safety because there was an impending flood and as we know although he preached for hundred and twenty years compelling people to come in there was not a single convert. But that reflects the heart of God for all people, doesn't it? So God's love for for all people was why Peter could say, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, don't miss the inclusive language in these words. In every nation anyone, acceptable to him. And so no nation or people is exempted from the love of God and his acceptance of them. The only two things that God is looking for in people are, one, the fear of the Lord, and two, the desire to do what is right. Anyone from any nation who has these two qualities is acceptable to God. Now, notice that neither one of these two qualities is independent of each other. They both go together. In other words, to fear God is to do what is right, obedience. And right knowing must be evidenced by right doing. If you know what is right, then you must do what is right. And right doing must be informed by the fear of God. So both of these, two, both of these things go together. And so it is because of the gospel that God has people in every nation. It is because of the gospel that this song from Revelation will be sung in heaven one day. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Worthy are you, referring to God, to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. All of us, from every nation, will sing that song in heaven one day. It is because of the gospel that heaven will be filled with, quote, a great multitude that no one can number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. Now I know the question that you are dying to ask me this morning. You ask me, am I a prophet? Are you a prophet? How can you know what I'm wanting to ask you? But I know what you're wanting to ask me, and it is this. If God is, is not partial to any nation or people, and if he has ransomed people from every tribe and nation and language, and if heaven will be filled one day with people from every nation, every tribe, every language, why is it that more than 90% of our churches in America are homogeneous? Consider that for a little bit. In her book, and I'm reading through it right now for a class, but it just so happens that it dovetails beautifully with Um, what I'm preaching on this morning. The book is entitled Disunity in Christ, Uncovering the Hidden Faces that Keep Us Apart, written by Christina Cleveland. She's a professor at a university in California. Uh, She writes this, that culturally homogeneous churches tend to attract a certain type of person, thereby creating a strong group identity and divisive labels of right and wrong that often lead to conflict. If God is not partial, and if in every nation anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him, then he loves all people the same. Jews, Gentiles, whites, blacks, Latinos, Asians, indigenous peoples. God loves us all the same way. That's a beautiful thing. And so in the body of Christ, and because of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no us versus them. There is only us. We are the body of Christ. That is the beauty of the gospel, which is the great equalizer. So in today's politically and racially charged climate with politicians and the media uttering a lot of rhetoric that seeks to amplify our differences. The church needs to counter that with the gospel of Jesus Christ that includes everybody. We get an amen in that. Church needs to counter that narrative because God shows no partiality to any nation or people, but he loves all people equally and he accepts anyone who fears him and who does what is right. I believe it was Ray Boltz who, um, several decades ago, um, penned these words for the church in a song that he wrote. You're my brother, you're my sister. So take me by the hand. Together we will work until he comes. There's no foe that can defeat us when we're walking side by side. As long as there is love, we will stand. Pay attention to that picture that you have on the front of your bulletin. I didn't ask John to put that there, but that is so appropriate. You see what is happening there? That speaks exactly to what we're speaking to this morning. That is the beauty and the power of the gospel. Here's a second point. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That means everything and everyone. Now, this statement right here, which Peter, in fact, has in his text, was perhaps the most politically incorrect statement of the the day. You know why? Because in the first century, to everyone in the Gentile world, you know who was Lord? Caesar was. And to say that anybody else other than Caesar was was Lord was politically incorrect. You could lose your life for, for saying that. But Peter let it be known that Jesus was not only Lord, but he was Lord of all. To say that Jesus is Lord of all is also theologically correct. He is Lord because he is the Prince of Peace who came preaching a gospel of peace. And so through this gospel of peace, Jew and Gentile, men and women, slave and free, they can all be reconciled to God and become the children of God. The word reconciliation refers to the act of bringing together people who were of opposing parties, bringing them together so that they can be friendly again. They can come together in, in agreement Reconciliation often requires a mediator, somebody to stand between both parties and bring them together again so that they can be reconciled. And I'm told that in reconciliation, these four things need to happen. One, contrition, the awareness of the offense and the desire to make it right. Secondly, confession, where you admit, you take ownership of, of your offense and you do something about it. Satisfaction, whatever action you take must satisfy the aggrieved person. And finally, absolution or forgiveness, that forgiveness has to be granted to the one who is asking forgiveness of you. And so as the Prince of Peace, Jesus came as that mediator, that person standing between uh, us and God, between Jew and Gentile, so that we could be reconciled to one another and reconciled to God in the process. And so this gospel is the only thing that I know of anyway that can reconcile people to God and reconcile people of all ethnicities so that we can all be one. Jesus is Lord also because God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power so that sickness had to bow to him. Blind eyes had no choice but to be open. Deaf ears were made to hear. Lame legs were enabled to walk and leap. And even those who were in the grave heard his voice and came out of it alive. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, which is why he was able to do these things. Now, in fact, he himself said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus himself standing up in the temple to read said these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he indeed was Lord because God had anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus is Lord because he has triumphed. You ask triumphed over what? He triumphed over the cross, the grave, over sin, over death, over hell, over the devil himself, over anything that is against him. So he has a right to be Lord. Peter says that they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and made him appear. He has triumphed. Therefore, he's Lord. Jesus is Lord because God has exalted him over every ruler, power, and authority that there is, whether in heaven or on earth. This is what Paul tells us in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. God raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He is Lord of all. And So it is because that he is Lord that every knee will one day bow and every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's our third point. We who are witnesses, we have a gospel to preach. This is what Peter says. And he, meaning Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets be a witness, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so everyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ is a witness. We are all witnesses. You are a witness to the grace and saving power of Jesus Christ. I thought I would hear a big amen on that. You are witnesses. Yes, Ali. You have a big smile on your face, which means that you're agreeing with me, right? That we are witnesses. All of us are. And so every witness ought to be able to testify about what he or she has seen. Am I right? Or else you are a false witness. We're all witnesses. I believe that every one of us ought to be able to give testimony to these two things about the gospel. First of which is this. You ought to be able to testify that Jesus is Savior, Lord, and Judge. You have to be able to witness to that with conviction. He is savior of all those who trust in him for salvation. He is lord of all who do what is right. He will be judge of all those who refuse to acknowledge him in this life as their savior and lord. We all must be able to give testimony to that. Secondly, You ought to be able to testify that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I don't care what they have done. As long as they believe in Jesus' name and come to him for forgiveness, they receive it. We ought to be able to testify to those two things. You ought to be able to say that everyone can be saved And that Jesus wants all men to be saved. That salvation is through believing the gospel about Jesus Christ, not through works or religion or anything like that. Salvation is found in no other person and in no other name than Jesus Christ himself. And that forgiveness is available to everyone who desires it and comes to Jesus for it. And so you are witnesses of this gospel And you must preach it, not necessarily from a pulpit, but through your daily lives and your interactions. You tell others about it. Here's our final point. Oneness is still a challenge or the challenge of the church. Now, Luke tells us that while Peter was still preaching to these uncircumcised Gentiles, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. Now, how did the Jewish believers know that? Because, you see, the Jewish believers had already received the Holy Spirit. The Gentiles had not. And when they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God, they concluded that the Holy Spirit must have been um, given to them. And then we find in this passage that Peter said perhaps the most important thing in this whole passage. He says this. First part of what he says is in the form of a rhetorical question, and the second part is in the form of a command. Now here's the question. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? In other words, what or who or why would you prevent any of these who have received the Holy Spirit, just like we have received him, what would prevent them from being baptized, just as we have been baptized as well? That was the question. And then the command was for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So there is common ground that Peter is laying here for both Jew and Gentile. And so through the receiving of the Holy Spirit and baptism in the name of Jesus, these Gentiles now became part of one church. Now, I would love to say that that was the end of us versus them in the church. And that from that point on, it was only now us. But that would not be the truth, would it? For a long while, there was still tension in the church in the first century. And even now, I'm told, as I mentioned before, that 90% of our churches are still homogeneous. And so we find that black people go to black churches, white people go to white churches, Latino people, except for my friend over there, back there, go to Latino churches, Asian people go to Asian churches. That's why I believe that when we get to heaven some of you will not be able to dance to calypso, soca, reggae, salsa, or rumba. And for that matter that is why some of us would know nothing about the luau, right? (laughs) Because, Because we rob ourselves of diversity. We really do. We really do rob ourselves of diversity. Truth is that oneness is still a hurdle that our church needs to get over. I believe that we are getting there. I believe God is helping us to get there, and we will get there. But Peter tells us that the Holy Spirit poured out upon us, and our baptism in the name of Jesus makes us all one. And that... That means, then, that that is more important than any difference that we have. Here's the bottom line of our message this morning, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. We really are. We're all one. Several application points. First of all, confess that Jesus is Lord Peter says, if you confess with your mouth, I'm sorry, Paul says this in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And I want to say to you this morning, you who have not yet come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you to confess Jesus as Your Lord. Confession is something that you must do with your mouth. Confession comes from something that you believe. You're convinced about it. You believe it to be true. And so you declare it with your mouth what you in fact have believed in your heart. And what you confess that you believe is that Jesus Christ is not only Lord of all, but that he is your Lord. When you do that, the Bible says that you are saved. You are declared justified. You are reconciled to God so that you're one with him. You are saved. You have become righteous, forgiven. I wonder if there's anyone this morning, whether here or online, needs to make that confession this morning that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be saved if you do that. Forgiven cleared righteous. Let's take just a few seconds to allow you, whether here or online, to do exactly that. Lord Jesus, we confess with our mouth what we believe in our hearts to be true, that you are Lord. You're not only Lord of creation, or Lord of the universe, or Lord of all peoples, You are our Lord. We have a personal relationship with you. And because we declare you to be Lord, by faith we know that we are forgiven. We know that we have been declared righteous. We know that we have been reconciled to you. We pray this morning that that would be the testimony of every person who listens to me today that if they have not already done so, that today will be the day that they would yield to you as Lord and allow you to be their Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's our second application point. Build community with someone different. Now, in the book that I quoted uh, from earlier, the author asserted the following. I quote her. Discipleship is cross-cultural. She says, you can meet God within your cultural context, but in order to follow God, you must cross into other cultures because that's what Jesus did in the Incarnation. So it is okay for us to meet God in our respective cultures, but we there's a responsibility and there's an onus on us to cross into other cultures, particularly with the gospel. Because that is to follow Christ's example. Now, we say all of the time that a little child shall lead them, don't we? Like Myla, who is, oh man, watching her is just amazing. As she, How many of you did she fist pump or elbow this morning? She's, a little child shall lead them. So I want you to watch this video um, of Finnegan and Maxwell. It's been watched by over 100 million people. Let's just watch that real quick. <laughs> 26-month-old Maxwell and 27-month-old friend, Finnegan pure joy at the sight of one another, running to give each other a hug much bigger than their size. The innocence of it all is exactly why it's going viral. They just took off towards each other and I just got my phone out as quickly as possible and just tried to record it. And. They are just too cute together. Cute is an understatement. Michael Cisneros, Maxwell's dad, shot the video. He says he's not normally one to post a lot of private things on Facebook, but explains why he's decided to in this case. With all the racism and hate going on, I just think it's a really beautiful video. The reason that it's getting attention because it is with a little black boy and a little white boy, and you know. But if it can change someone's mind, um, you know, or just change their view on things, you know, then it's totally worth it. them. So shouldn't this be normal for us as adults? Really? It should be. So if we are all the children of God and we have all been baptized by Jesus, and if we all have received the Holy Spirit, then our differences really should not matter at all. So may God help us to regain that childhood innocence so that we can do exactly that. Here's our third and final application point. Give testimony to the power of the gospel. Let people know that through the power of the gospel, everyone can be forgiven of their sins. I don't care how you have lived, what your lifestyle has been, what your mistakes have been in the past. Every person can be forgiven. Every person can be made right with God. And so since you have witnessed this yourselves, you should be able to testify to what you have witnessed. I'm told that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And if that is true, then we all, who have been beggars and who have found bread, can say to somebody else that they can find bread there too. And soon if we did that, there would be no hunger anywhere because we all would have found that bread tell what you know if you are a witness then you testify to your experience and when you tell people about the gospel that is a good place to begin my experience was so you know was like this but this is who I am now and you can be that too may god help us each of us in our respective fields of influence and movement as we move about in our community, to give testimony to the power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings forgiveness and salvation to everybody. Let us pray. God, we give back to you the word you've given to us. We ask, God, that the Holy Spirit will impress upon our hearts whatever it is that we need to take away from this message, And help us, God, to have the courage this week to do exactly what you're asking us to do. We ask, God, that you would indeed give us the grace that we need to build bridges, to promote understanding, to be ambassadors and reconcilers. In fact, you did say that you have entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. God, as we move about in our communities, we recognize that there is so much need for reconciliation. People need to be reconciled to one another, even in our own families. God, reconciliation needs to happen across the world. So we ask, God, that you would help us. You have not called us to save the world, but you have truly called us to be ambassadors within our our community, So help us to do whatever you place at our disposal, Bring you glory and honor in the process. We pray these things in Jesus' name.